Hey, this is Janine with your Diamond Mentor Moment, and I am excited to come to you on this Wednesday to talk about how teachers, leaders, people who are in a position of authority to hopefully change your brain, can do it effectively. A few weeks ago, I actually gave a speech at my sixth grade teacher's memorial. And his name is Mr. Stephen Miller. And I had him at Bemis Elementary in 1990 to 1991. So I was about, I believe, 12 years old, 12 years old or 11. And he literally um, changed my life. And I just remember being in his class and him bringing in all these elements that I'm going to talk about a little bit later and hopefully just give some tips and tricks to people who are in leadership positions. Even if you're not a teacher within the classroom, but you're a teacher within your organization, a leader, a manager, a boss, um, how can you physically change the brains of those you leave in a positive way. So let me bring up always my slides. How does the mindset of a teacher, how can it, it shift um, the way that, that you act? First, I want to talk about Adele, you know, the one who said, hello from the other side. If you know her, you know her music, you know her ability to write lyrics, her ability to connect emotionally to her audience through a song and through lyrics. She gave a performance about three months ago and people in the audience got to ask her a question. And one woman got up and said, you know, who in your life was so instrumental that they, you know, literally changed, changed like everything for you to just thrive. And she automatically said, Miss McDonald, like right away. She said it so fast and you could tell that this person really had an impact. And she said, yes, she, she said something that, that I now say in my keynotes. She said, Miss McDonald made us care about the content because we knew she cared. And then to her surprise, Miss McDonald was actually in the audience and she comes up and Adele is just like, you know, and she, and she was shocked and she was crying. And you can see, like, look at her face. You can see her face of, of looking at this woman who she has not seen in over 20 years. And that taught me of what the neuroscience is now showing. Emotion leads, content follows. Emotion leads, content follows. Connection leads and content follows. And so now we know what, now we know, you know, in real life and experience what the neuroscience is showing us. And of course, you know me, I, I bring the top neuroscientists to the table um, to add some, some credibility. And here's Dr. Daniel Siegel out of UCLA, go Bruins, the MindSight, um, the MindSight organization. And he's going to talk about emotion. So experience for it to have a lasting impact on the brain changes brain connectivity. And that's not a controversial issue, that's for sure. Now you can say, what allows that to happen? Well, certain kinds of memory require conscious attention and other kinds don't. And emotion, it turns out, emotional arousal enhances neuroplasticity, that is, enhances the creation of new neural connections. So in psychotherapy, for example, in the school where I teach, you know, it isn't just that we want people to have an emotional catharsis or an emotional experience just for the heck of it, I believe that for any form of psychotherapy to work, it's got to change the brain. And we know that the arousal of emotion within tolerable levels 
allows neuroplasticity to be enhanced. And so you greatly increase your chance of having a positive result of changing the person's brain if you can have emotions be a part of that experience in a positive way. All right. So that was Dr. Daniel Siegel out of UCLA's Institution of, of the Mindside Organization and talking the importance about having emotion be a part of the learning process. So gone are these boring PowerPoints. You know me, I'm all about the PowerPoint, but um, these fun PowerPoints, interactive PowerPoints, but gone are the boring PowerPoints of Bueller, 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 and a big, also another R word I'm going to talk about a little bit later of how to make sure that the brain is changing when you want the brain to, to change. So moving on, Mr. Stephen Miller, he knew this. A lot of people just know this intuitively. How do I create experiences that will actually change the neural networks and the, the wiring of my students' brains? And so he knew the importance of bringing in music music into the classroom. If those of you who follow my work and research, you know I'm a big arts advocate within creative thinking. Creativity is more than just artistry, but artistry is a big component in enhancing the creative thinking in other non-arts areas. And so we were listening to John Denver, Joan Baez, artists that I would not have normally been exposed to um, just because, you know, those were some of his favorites, but he incorporated into the curriculum. He also believed in experiential learning and reflective learning as well. So instead of just reading about the gold rush, we were out there in the side of the campus, which is now built with homes now, but back then in the 90s, I was in his classroom 1990 to 1991, we were digging for gold. He took the time to bury gold for his class to dig it up. In the picture you see here, um, I invited him back to my classroom to play for my kids, to teach my students, because I was now a teacher in Canoga Park, and he just played the same songs that he played for me 20, 25 years earlier for them. And just another aspect that he taught me that I am now teaching in my facilitations and keynotes, and that's a big part of this future of work, is the concept of walking in the confidence of being uniquely you. This man was quite the, the, the character. He had these funny coffee mugs and these funny ties, and he was not your typical you know, suit and tie teacher, just very eccentric in, in, a, in a really cool way, but it just really allowed the rest of us, especially me, to just be happy with who I was and how I ex expressed my, myself. Going to the work of Carol Dweck, uh, she does the work of growth mindset, fixed mindset, and she talked about how the mindset of the teacher or the authority person in charge is one of the largest influences of student success. We don't normally think about that, like who in their teacher ed program or in their leadership training program really went over their growth and fixed mindset capabilities in, in relation to those who they're going to lead. You may do it for your own personal growth, but in relation to those who you lead. And so the research shows that teachers who had more of a fixed mind, mindset, those students did worse, and especially students from marginalized groups those students um, perform worse than the students who were in classrooms with teachers with more of a growth mindset. And so what that talks about is your mindset, you know, 
communicates to those who you're lead leading. If you're in a fixed mindset, meaning, you know, you're either smart or you're not, um, either boys are good at math and girls aren't. So, you know, why even try, you know, a lot of fixed mindset positions are connected to stereotypes, cultural stereotypes and, and bias stereotypes as well. And so we really want to be mindful of that that the mindset of the teacher or the leader or the boss whoever in charge is one of the largest influences of the creative potential and the academic performance of the student or the team member. So check out that research. I didn't put it in the, the notes, but if you want that research, please connect with, with me. In 2011, you know, I was just really reflecting on it back then, but also reflecting this past month because I had to go speak at Mr. Miller, Miller's um, memorial service, how he really, even the work I'm doing today, affected the way that I teach today. So I bring in these experiential activities and opportunities for my students and now the facilitations that I lead. I bring in music and other arts to really wake up the brain and and really facilitate that integration within the brain. And I'm uniquely me. You know, someone told told me, Janine, yes, you're going into corporate, you're doing all these facilitations, but don't lose who you are. Don't you don't have to be the uh, Bueller, 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 you know, presenter because you're presenting to to uh, board board you know of directors, you can just be you, you know, and of course have your objectives there, but still bring that vibrancy of who you are. And Mr. Miller was the first one to not just tell us that, but to show us what it looked like, and that was that was key. So in 2011, I got to nominate Mr. Miller for the Sondheim Award out of the Lincoln Center in Washington D.C. and I wrote an essay, like a 500-word essay, and he won. He won $10,000 because I took the time to nominate him. So I want to challenge you. Who is that teacher in your life that has done amazing things in that you know that they had an impact on who you are today? Like Adele you know, um, gave props to Miss McDonald, and I gave props to Miss Mr. Miller. Who's that teacher in your life? that that just really changed the trajectory almost. And number one, have you even gone back to say thank you? I mean, assuming that they're still um, on this earth. And could you even go the extra step and look for a teacher award that you can nominate them for? And going to the memorial service, you know, with his family and his friends there, a lot of people came up to me and said, oh, are, are you the student who nominated him for that award? Well, I just want to let you know that, you know, he called me after that and he was just so elated and that he got that award right around the time when he was about to retire. So it was perfect timing because it was like the icing on the cake, the cherry on top that really gave him that feeling that his 30 years in the classroom, 20 or 30 years in the classroom actually did something, actually meant something. And it, it really just impacted him in a good way, just as he impacted me. Um, those decades earlier. So that was really good to hear from his family and friends that uh, me just taking that extra hour or two to write that essay really was a pivotal mental shift in his life journey. And so he automatically knew the power that the music did to the brains of his students to make something that would have been unrelated or boring to us come alive. And he knew now what the Harvard Business Review research says, 
that going into the workforce is not about conformity, it's about the people who uniquely show them their special gifts from their unique viewpoint. Those are the ones who are gonna be sought after. He knew that 30 years ago. And so being in his class gave me the freedom to be me. And so I challenge you to, to do that as well for a teacher that had that impact on, on you. So creativity is key. And if you remember, I define the term creativity, not just artistry, though artistry is a big part of it, but creative thinking is the process of problem finding and problem solving with relevance, value, and novelty. And I want to really tackle the word relevance today. Those of you who follow my work, you know I'm big on the neuroscience. And I want to show you this book called um, by Dr. David Eagleman. You know, I, I kind of fall into a new neuroscientist like every two months. And I fell into his work um, after being on a Zoom meeting with him and some other people who are really advocates about the child brain and, and really making sure our kids get the right support they need to have strong brains. And he wrote a book called Live Wired, The Inside Story of the Ever-Changing Brain. And for those of you who don't want to read thick books, you want to watch something, he has the PBS special called The Brain um, on PBS. And you can watch it for free. You just give a small donation. And it's an amazing series. I highly recommend it. But he talks about something that I haven't learned before. And I get really excited when I find something that I haven't learned learned before. He talks about um, these this concept of neural modulators, neural modulators. And so um, this the, these neural modulators are being paying attention to things that are salient to you, things that have relevance to you. And there's this neural chemical, modulator chemical called acetylcholine, A-C-E-T-Y-L-C-H-O-L-I-N-E. -E. So I might be mispronouncing it, but it's, it's this, this, I believe it's a yeah, chemical messenger that starts to become active when things are relevant and there's engagement, there's engagement, there's engagement. That's a big word. And he was talking about how the brain won't change the neural structure, the neural wiring, right? The brain is, is plastic, meaning it keeps changing as you keep going through experiences and learning. Your brain, your brain is plastic all the way to the, the last day, if you want it to be. Um, and course is more plastic in your childhood but even as you're getting older if you keep learning new things and keep cognitively active your brain is still moving your things around and rewiring and doing really cool stuff because you're active but when you're active you're active about things that are relevant to you things that are exciting things that, are, that you're engaged about and so he said that if this acetylcholine choline is not there then the brain won't rewire and and build those new neural pathways. So that's huge for educators, for leaders, for, for bosses, because we want our people's brains to change in a good way as they're learning new information and processes. So he says that, you know, students that who may be caught in boring classrooms where it's like Bueller, 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 right? He says, those students are not engaged and without engagement, there is little to no plasticity. The information just does not stick. And so we need to correlate the curriculum with investment, curiosity, and interest. And so that's another thing that Mr. Mr. 
Miller did very well. You know, he had us in experiential learning. He had the curiosity high. I fell in love with Abraham Lincoln in his classroom and the Titanic, the story of the Titanic. And I, I mean, I've been to Lincoln's grave where he was shot. I've been um, where he grew up. I've been everywhere in this country that had anything to do about Abraham Lincoln except Gettysburg. Um, I haven't been to Gettysburg yet, but that fascination, that curiosity started in Mr. Miller's class. And so he knew, Mr. Miller knew what the neuroscience is now showing us. We didn't have access to that in the 1990s with the fMRI machines that we have now. That engagement, high curiosity, really allows this neuromodulate later system to really be engaged. And so our neural frameworks or all the pathways can be laid down for this learning experience. And I just want to leave you with that. Our real heroes don't wear capes. They teach. I've been um, under the, the tutelage of a rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, and I, I love his work. Um, I'm, I'm not Jewish by, by descent or, or by faith, but Rabbi Sachs is brilliant and highly creative and he did pass away but I'm still learning from him because that's the mark of a great teacher you keep teaching even after you you you're deceased and he said when someone exercises power over us they diminish us but when someone teaches us they help us grow this is the new future of the work uh, this is the the new future um, that we will will need as leaders keep evolving what leadership looks like, right? True leadership doesn't come from a title, influence, or true leadership doesn't come from a title. It comes from influence, inspiration, and your ability to teach. That's my my, my, my thoughts there. But Dr. Um, Jonathan Sachs, he says, teachers are the unacknowledged builders of the future. And if a leader seeks to make lasting change, they must follow um, in the footsteps of leaders who know how to do this, how to be empathetic, how to make that experiential learning, and just how to connect well. The leader as teacher using influence, not power, empath um, em empathy and intellectual authority rather than coercive force, this is what creativity needs to thrive. And lastly, I'll say the poet Shelley famously said, poets are the unacknowledged le legislators of the world. Dr. Um, Jonathan Sachs says, in truth, though, it is not poets, but teachers who shape society, handing on the legacy of the past to those who build the future. So I just want to take this time to say thank you to all of our teachers out there, our leaders who are teachers as well, our parents who are teachers as well, and mentors and co coaches. You know who you are. Thank you to Mr. Miller, who was my first favorite teacher, Mr. Miller and Mr. Rayler, my two top teachers in my entire life within the classroom. Um, and I just want to acknowledge the people who take the time to teach. The words of Maya Angelou, those who get give and those who learn teach. So please, please, please have a wonderful rest of the week. This is your Diamond Mentor Moment. It went kind of long, but of course I have wonderful things to say about this man. And I hope that you go check out PBS special, Dr. David e Eagleman's The Brain and also his books as well. And learn to become a teacher in whichever sphere of influence you are in. 
learn to teach. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. But people need to know the power of what he knew intuitively. He didn't need a neuroscience degree to know how to make children come alive.